hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Get real, let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. Let's jump in and listen to something I just heard this morning. It was posted July 17th. 2022. It's from a letter written January 24th, 2022. And it was sent into Dell Bigtree at the highway. He's doing, it looks like a live program, but you've got to hear this. Let's take a listen. Read to you what I think is one of the most eloquently stated statements about what we have just been through and what we must all recognize is now the truth. And for those of you who've been watching The High Wire, this one's for you. Let this sink in. An opinion piece from a vaccinated Australian writer is what it's called. If COVID was a battlefield, it would still be warm with the bodies of the unvaccinated. Thankfully, the mandates are letting up and both sides of the war stumble back to the new normal. The unvaccinated are the heroes of the last two years as they allowed us all to have a control group in the great experiment and highlight the shortcoming of the COVID vaccines. The unvaccinated carry many battle scars and injuries as they are the people we tried to mentally break. Yet no one wants to talk about what we did to them and what they forced the science to unveil. We knew that the waning immunity of the fully vaccinated had the same risk profile as others within society as the minority of the unvaccinated, yet we marked them for special persecution. You see, we said that they had not done the right thing for the greater good by handing their bodies and medical autonomy over to the state. Many of the so-called health experts and political leaders in Australia admitted the goal was to make life almost unlivable for the unvaccinated which was multiplied many times by the collective mob, with the fight taken into workplaces, friendships, and family gatherings. Today, the hard truth is none of it was justified as we took a quick slide from righteousness to absolute cruelty. We might lay the blame on our leaders and health experts for the push, but each individual within society must be held accountable for stepping into the well-laid-out trap. We did this despite knowing full well that principled opposition is priceless when it comes to what goes inside our bodies and we let ourselves be tricked into believing that going into another ineffective lockdown would be the fault of the unvaccinated and not the fault of the toxic policy of ineffective vaccines. We took pleasure in scapegoating the unvaccinated because after months of engineered lockdowns by political leaders blinded by power, having someone to blame in turn to burn at the stake felt good. We believed we had logic, love, and truth on our side, so it was easy to wish death upon the unvaccinated. Those of us who ridiculed and mocked the non-compliant did it because we were embarrassed by their courage and principles and didn't think the unvaccinated would make it through unbroken. And we turned the holdouts into punching bags. Lambie, Carr, Chant, Andrews, McGowan, Gunner, and the other cast of hundreds in prominent roles. And we here in America, we could add Fauci and the rest of them and Biden 
and prominent roles need to be held to account for vilifying the unvaccinated in public and fueling angry social media mobs. The mobs, the masked Nazis, and the vaccine disciples have been embarrassed by betting against the unvaccinated because mandates only had the power we gave them. It was not compliance that ended domination by big pharma companies, Bill Gates and his many organizations, and the World Economic Forum. It was thanks to the people we tried to embarrass, ridicule, mock, and tear down. We should all try and find some inner gratitude for the unvaccinated as we took the bait by hating them because their perseverance and courage bought us the time to see we were wrong. So if mandates ever return for COVID or any other disease or virus, hopefully more of us will be awake and see the rising authoritarianism that has no concern for our well-being and is more about power and control. The war of the unvaccinated was lost, on the unvaccinated was lost, and we should all be very thankful for that. This is the high wire. We've celebrated our position against this vaccine from the beginning, using science to declare our space. To every writer out there, keep writing statements like this. To every historian, remember what it means to write the true history. History has been stated. It has happened here. We lost our rights to a lie. Let's admit that. Let's change it. And let's make a better world based on truth. As we watch our stock markets crashing and inflation going through the roof, recognize that the most valuable commodity, the rarest metal available now on this planet, is truth. That should not be the case. This is what the high wire is all about. This is the Fort Knox for the truth. We're not going anywhere, and we're coming after you. This is the high wire. I'll see you next week. That was Del Bigtree at Freedom Fest in Las Vegas in July of 2022. Great, great piece. That was a letter that came in from someone who took the vaccine in Australia. So all our Australian fans, you're going to love that one. And and again, it's for the highlight reels. It's for all time. It's for uh, in history. No doubt about it. Now, many of the listeners of the McCullough Report are unvaccinated that They've been in this war, it seems like, uh, for the last several years of trying to preserve their bodily autonomy versus these uh, socio-cultural forces that were all working against uh, one's ability to make a decision regarding their own body on something that is very new, very experimental. It looks like it's permanent in terms of taking a shot of one of the genetic vaccines. And uh, it's been a very scary time for those who held their ground. And I think that's the reason why Dell read that letter from Australia with such a strong emotion, uh, as well as vindication, because the letter came from a woman who had taken the vaccine and she had realized, uh, particularly in Australia where the vaccinated had absolutely positively waged a war on the unvaccinated, relentless pressure, uh, uh, coercion, reprisal, professional damage, uh, ruining people's lives and livelihoods because they didn't take 
one of the experimental genetic vaccines. I'm not saying that it's over with, but boy, was that letter revealing, no doubt about it. I wanted to uh, direct the show to uh, what I call destabilization. There seems to be uh, just a sequence historically of destabilization events that's occurred in society in the United States. There's been parallels in South America, Europe, uh, Australia, Asia. And these destabilizing events uh, basically have worked to uh, shaken our foundations, our foundations about how we think about ourselves, how we relate to one another, how we think about the advancement of a civil society in general. And one can think about destabilization and events uh, back to Me Too uh, in the United States, which was uh, a gender equality transient recent movement. Um, there was uh, a destabilizing event called um, Occupy Wall Street. Uh, and it was, in a sense, a protest over those who are making large amounts of money or large companies uh, who are making money uh, in Wall Street and, and all the various uh, derivatives. Black Lives Matter, a lot of people will remember that or see that concurrently um, about uh, this movement that uh, those African American in the United States continue to face social and a political injustice and that their lives matter. And of course, it raises a question, well, whose lives don't matter? And uh, so that one had uh, many different angles to it. And then we're right into uh, the uh, SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19 pandemic. There's always been um, uh, an ongoing debate. It's gone on for decades regarding, in the United States, uh, elective abortion uh, in the first trimester for a woman who regrets uh, becoming pregnant uh, or has become pregnant, uh, become pregnant under circumstances she couldn't control and doesn't want the baby. And so we had a, a Supreme Court decision decades ago called Roe versus Wade. It turns out uh, that some of the uh, key players were in Texas uh, uh, in this decision. And the point of Roe versus Wade is that it was a, a federal mandate that the states uh, must offer abortion services, that a woman needed a place to go to have this uh, procedure done. And uh, in, in the last uh, m month or two, Roe versus Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court. Now it's back to each individual state to decide. We've seen marches and destabilization there. We've also seen uh, destabilization on sexual orientation and uh, understanding of one's gender and, for lack of a better term, gender ambiguity of uh, is it a man, is it a woman, who decides. We know when um, when the human body develops, like any mammalian body, that there is uh, uh, hermaphrodism, meaning that, um, that gender can go towards male or female in development, uh, and it's driven by uh, the chromosomal XX, uh, 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 female, XY, male. and uh, But then a whole variety of other factors must be translated from those uh, chromosomes, including um, uh, gonadotropic hormones, the sex hormones, and, uh, and then ultimately development. 
and uh, to each person it's different. And uh, you know, there's the anatomic recognition of male versus female that occurs at birth. Um, but I can tell you this uh, uh, gender ambiguity and the r- rise of LGBTQ, uh, T, uh, uh, lesbian, gay, um, transgender, transsexual uh, individuals, although small minority of people, certainly in the United States and the world, this one has also uh, been like a fire that's taken off and it's had destabilizing effects uh, along so many uh, levels of society. Uh, You know, I have stayed on script in terms of COVID-19 and then my focus area on heart and kidney disease throughout my career, but it's coming up now on interviews. And I wanted you to hear one that I had with uh, John Fredericks on Real America's Voice outside the Beltway. And this just happened this week. Uh, Let's listen in. Outside the Bellway, I'm John Fredericks, live Cary, North Carolina. Great to have you with us, as always, 7 to 8 a.m., right here, after Steve Gruber and on the John Fredericks Radio Network. We got uh, Dr. Peter McCullough coming up. Uh, in the meantime, um, we, <laughs> Cheryl Levin, the, it just, I, I, it, Rachel Levin, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't even dis- describe it. Here she is yesterday saying that we need to, this is the, She's second in command of the White House medical team. Here's here's her saying, we need to empower kids to go on puberty blockers and get sex reassignment surgery. Cut three. So we really want to to to, to base our treatment and uh, and to uh, affirm and to uh, support and empower these youth, not to limit their participation in activities and sports, and even uh, uh, limit their ability to get gender affirmation treatment in their state. These are the leaders of your nation. Now they want to encourage. They want to encourage your kids to not tell you as a parent. And get puberty blockers and sex reassignment surgery at seven or eight years old. And these people are certifiably insane. Joining me now is uh, Dr. Peter McCullough. Dr. McCullough, thanks for being with us. Uh, I, I tell you, you look at what's going on in this nation, and now you look at this new variant, right? Where she's saying, okay, we got a new variant, we need new vaccines. Now they're saying, well, the old vaccines that we told you were going to be safe and we told you they were going to be effective, well, they're not really effective against this variant, so now we need another vaccine, but we can't get it in time, uh, so uh, you're going to have to have mail-out ballots because you can't choose between voting and dying. What, Dr. McCullough, uh, Peter McCullough, are we going to go through this again? Yeah, It seems like we're in the midst of a series of destabilizing uh, events uh, really attacks on the human body. Uh, you know, this uh, relatively sudden gender confusion that's come into our socio-medical uh, domain is extraordinary. I learned today that the American Medical Association is supporting not putting gender on birth certificates. Uh, you know, doctors can always identify the gender at birth. In fact, it's identified in most pregnancies at ultrasound. There is no gender ambiguity in the field of medicine. 
And I can tell you that SARS-CoV-2, the virus, the viral infection, has become far more mild with the BA4 and BA5 uh, Omicron subvariant. The seroprevalence levels are so high now, uh, whether someone's taken one of the vaccines or not, uh, it's a very mild syndrome. I haven't had a patient hospitalized in well over six months. It's like the common cold. People are getting through it just fine. We are having to use outpatient drug treatment occasionally. But at this point in time, uh, any further vaccination is not medically necessary. It's not clinically indicated. The vaccines are obsolete. They are not trained against recent variants and they're not safe. There's unacceptable numbers of deaths, injuries, disabilities, and the World Council for Health which is a huge organization, represents 70 non-governmental organizations, on June 11th, recommended complete market withdrawal of all the vaccines. So, Dr. McCullough, we got this new variant. I mean, couple couple things. I want to go back to the vaccines a second. Um, we've had you on our show, Dr. McCullough, multiple times, as other people. Um, we know that there is injury from these vaccines. Normally, in my time of life where you had some drug that came out uh, where there was a negative reaction, it got recalled, there was an investigation, it was paused. Why in this instance, it, I mean, it, it's almost like there's a cover-up going, going on here. Well, you said the right word. Uh, you know, under court order, Pfizer had to release their regulatory documents, and Pfizer knew about 1,000 223 deaths within 90 days of release of their product. The FDA did not want to release that document to America for 55 years. So that's prima facie evidence. The FDA is involved in a cover-up. So the FDA cannot be trusted in terms of recommending market withdrawal. Pfizer and Moderna, Johnson & Johnson have shown no interest in a market withdrawal. Something's gone very wrong with the vaccine program. Americans know it. No one wants these products. Uh, they take them under uh, some form of an employment uh, or other types of mandates. And the outcomes are horrific. We know right now with the current variants, uh, there's virtually no protection. Uh, so there's no benefit. And then patients getting bl heart damage, blood clots, neurologic damage, and dying a few days afterwards is making this a, a, a biological catastrophe. So... Is it money that's driving this? Is it the left-wing Marxist narrative that you have to comply with what the government says and they don't want to admit that uh, they jumped the gun or they were wrong? What is driving this, Dr. McCullough? What is I can tell you whatever's driving it's worldwide because it's happening in every market in the world. There's 16 vaccines uh, in development, uh, many more in use outside the United States. So it doesn't seem to be money to a particular co uh, company or entity. Uh, there's a variety of stakeholders in uh, Peter Bregan's book, COVID-19 and the Global Predators. There is a, a syndicate of predator, uh, predators, if you will, at the top, probably the World Economic Forum, WHO, Gavi, CEPI, uh, the Wuhan Institute in China is playing a huge role, EcoHealth Alliance, and then our U.S. agencies, BARDA, part of the NIH and DARPA, part of the Department of Defense, they were involved in the engineering and design of both SARS-CoV-2, the virus, and the vaccine. So uh, this is some type of giant worldwide operation. People are trying to figure out who's at the center of it, but it's been misery for the world now. 
since the release of the vaccines. And the best thing that could happen would be withdrawal. I think if, if the vaccines were taken off the market, it would be a worldwide holiday. You know, I'm just trying to figure out, though, what the purpose of this is. You look at you, you look at what China's doing with the new lockdowns and the mandatory vaccines. I mean, here's a country that has zero regard for human life, right? I mean, they've got they've got slave labor with the uh, with the, uh, the 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 Uyghurs out there. I mean, they have they have no regard for how many people die. They had no regard at Tiananmen Square for just gunning people down. So they have no regard for human life whatsoever. Uh, your families are limited. If you go over the limitation, uh, they 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 want the babies gone. Everyone knows that. So what is that like? Uh, so there's a so somebody gets a variant and they lock the cities down and drag people out the camps and make everybody get a vaccine. I'm just trying to figure out why, like. Why? If somebody gets sick, they get sick in China. Why this reaction? What is the reaction to COVID that's different from anything else we've ever seen? You know, the same thing's going on in the U.S. military. Whether or not someone's had the virus or not, uh, they're forced to take a, a vaccine. So behavior in America is becoming far more like China than vice versa. There seems to be elements of forced compliance uh, creating difficult decisions like losing your job or losing your life or getting a blood clot or heart damage. Uh, There seems to be a lot of intentional misery in this entire plan, if you will. And uh, no one seems to understand to what end. The one thing I can tell you that's happening is large numbers of people have lost their life with the virus. Large numbers of people are losing their lives now with the vaccine. And far more people now are damaged and injured. And clearly the virus hasn't gone away. So it, it's almost as if it's one insult after another. Who's benefiting from this? Who's developing joy from this? John, I, I can't tell you. I'm just reporting the news. Fortunately, as a doctor, I'm very confident I can bring the next person through the illness. Some of these vaccine injuries, there's nothing I can do. The damage is done. The variant that they're now claiming, Fauci got on uh, the Sunday talk shows and made the rounds, uh, you just heard Levine say the same thing, that there's this new variant coming. It's going to be worse than uh, than anything that we've seen. Uh, but, I mean, in my world, no one that I've talked to that has had COVID in the last six months was sick more than two or three days. Is there any danger at all to this, to people? It's always been a, a theoretic possibility that if we vaccinate enough people, the virus will find a way to become far more pathogenic. So far, that hasn't happened. A recent paper by Kima Telly and colleagues from Qatar shows, shows once you've already had the infection, there's a 97% protection about getting uh, from getting very sick, like being hospitalized or dying. So I think so many people now have had this graduated uh, accumulation of natural immunity that uh, clinically, I agree with you. I am seeing just something now that's indistinguishable from the common cold. I, I really wonder if we need to do any more testing for someone who's already had it once or twice and they get the next version of it. It's it's like a common cold. So let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. Dr. McCullough, I've got COVID. Oh no, this is my third time of having COVID. I don't know why I'm sick over and over again. 
I can tell you, I'm getting these calls all the time. This could be you. This could be people in your family. It seems like we're besieged with viral illnesses. And one of the most important tools that we have, one of the most important resources at our disposal is Healthy Cell. Healthy Cell is a unique blend of nutraceuticals and supplements designed to impact different aspects of life, depending on the product. It's in a microgel technology. Immune Super Boost is the product to use once, and so my elderly patients, I recommend twice a day to boost the immune system to give the best chance for recovery from viral illnesses and prevention of the next one. It's doing everything you can to help your body Healthy Cell Immune Super Boost. And now for the month of July, if you go to the banner bar on our website or to HealthyCell.com and in the promotional code, type in America50, you'll get a 50% off your order. That's unheard of. Again, the promo code is America50 and get 50% off your next purchase of Healthy Cell Immune, Immune Super Boost. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. Many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 120 times per month. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains full effective doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day, pill-free, ultra-absorption ingestible gel. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code AMERICA50 for 50% off any order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code AMERICA50 for 50% off. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. I wanted to pick up on the backside with this concept of destabilization. What could be the purpose of destabilizing the way we usually do things, our usual understanding, just the, just this slow, steady progress of a civil society? What would be the purpose of destabilization? Or what would be the outcome of it? Well, I can tell you if it's happening organically or it's happening as uh, an act of uh, of nature, for instance, let's say a tsunami or an unstable weather pattern, uh, it's going to create a, a ripple effect in uh, the economy, the ways of life, increasing levels of anxiety. But we have to deal with it, right? So if a tsunami hits our shores unpredictably, and things are wiped out in coastal cities, uh, we have to uh, recover, uh, repair, rebuild, and and move on, and hopefully learn from it and be better and stronger next time this happens with every hurricane, happens with every natural disaster. But with the things that I've mentioned, these series of movements that are social, cultural, 
they're not uh, weather destabilization patterns. They're not um, acts of of nature. Uh, they are, uh, in a sense, things that seem to happen in a contagious pattern, a contagious thought pattern spreading from one person to another, and then it just builds up into a fervor. And the next thing we we see is a crowd and angry mob, and then there's demonstrations and flare-ups in social media, and then it keeps building and building and building to some focal point, some type of event that happens that becomes a lightning rod uh, for either change or or more consternation or at some point in time, uh, flat-out um, confrontation. And um, in history, when there has been big events uh, before World War One and before World War Two, for sure, there were a series of destabilizing events. The societies uh, in Europe, in particular in Germany, were destabilized. They were destabilizing, and things got to a point where there was a war that it was relatively easy to convince the populace and convince all the leaders that there should be a war between one entity and another and in the circumstances of uh, a war and uh, an attempted imperial takeover of one or more countries by another because that uh, aggressor country believed that they had uh, a superior way of life, a superior fighting force, a strong desire to exert control and have power over others, a strong desire to have greater and greater uh, ownership over land, over uh, food, over energy, over infrastructure, uh, that that indeed happened. I mean, that was part of uh, the, the manifesto, the manifesto of Nazi Germany, the manifesto of uh, a, a, a communism, uh, and Stalinism in Russia, and it may be now the manifest uh, manifesto of communist China. We don't know, but I think it's fair to point out that we are seeing a series of destabilizing events. And if we uh, add in COVID nineteen pandemic and the vaccines as uh, you know a one two punch destabilizing the world, it, indeed it's happened. And the one thing I've learned, particularly talking to Peter Bregan, I mentioned Peter and Ginger frequently, I think everybody ought to get their book, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey, because it's uh, really the documentation and the timeline of what's happened. And you have to have those references if you want to be factual or have a discussion with your friends. It has over 1,100 citations and they are accurate. I've fact-checked many of them. Uh, but if you want to make the claim that SARS-CoV-2 is a bioweapon and have the citations to prove it, it's in the uh, Peter Bregan book. If you want to point out that Moderna was working with the Chinese long before uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus was known as a worldwide pandemic, it's there in the book. Uh, it's a wonderful uh, resource. One of the best resources in the book is in the timeline in the back where Bregan lists about 36 pandemic preparedness planning events. And he has them listed out 
you know, and they go back, you know, nearly a decade or more. And they, uh, you know, they clearly outlined these seminal steps in preparedness uh, for what was going to happen. 25 of them generated documents and six of them were face-to-face meetings. But when people say, gosh, you know, how could you say that the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic was planned? I say, well, simply go to the Bregan book. It's not my opinion. Uh, Review those pandemic preparedness planning events and let me know what you think. They include the SPARS pandemic uh, exercise that was done in Johns Hopkins in 2017, the 2019 Event 201 planning preparedness uh, exercise where you can watch that yourself and ask yourself, did they know a coronavirus pandemic was coming and were they planning to have a mass vaccination program and harness social media, major media, and government agencies to execute? The answer is yes, it's very clear. And one of the things I've learned from Bregan is to take public utterances and publications seriously. And everything's in the wide open. When Klaus Schwab, who heads the World Economic Forum, when he published the book within a few months of the COVID-19 pandemic uh, in 2020 called The Great Reset, in the book, Schwab says that the World Economic Forum is going to use the COVID-19 crisis as an opportunity to create a new world order. It's in the book. And I can tell you, having written a book myself with John Leake, it took us a year to write a good book. Schwab released this and had it in print within a few months of the COVID-19 pandemic initiation. I can tell you this was being worked on ahead of time. And it's clear that there is some type of worldwide operations going on. Just like John Frederick asked me, everyone asked me, well, Dr. McCullough, what is the plan? And think about the naivety of this. You know, I'm a practicing doctor. You know me as the host of the McCullough Report. Uh, The naivety is, well, only Dr. McCullough really knows the plan. You know, I've been asked that very question by Tucker Carlson, by Joe Rogan, John Frederick, you just heard it. Of course, I don't know the plan. I'm like you. I'm trying to figure it out. But it doesn't look good. It's all I can say. There's nothing in this plan that looks good. Uh, On the surface, the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, CEPI, the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness and Innovation, which is formed by the World Economic Forum and the Gates Foundation, um, the Wellcome Trust, the uh, Rockefeller Foundation, Gavi, uh, a vaccine alliance, the EcoHealth Alliance, which is an intermediate service between the National Institutes of Health and worldwide entities, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and the Biosecurity Lab Level 4 Annex that was built, the U.S. National Institutes of Health, and certainly the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, but also uh, Harvard, the Chan School, uh, University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston, Johns Hopkins University and the Bloomberg School of Health, School of Public Health. They are all mentioned in the Bregan book and they're all mentioned now on the McCullough Report for a reason. They appear to be coordinated in a way as a syndicate, as a biopharmaceutical complex uh, 
and they have found a way to work with infectious diseases, uh, viral diseases, uh, potentially uh, fungal spores, uh, bacterial diseases like anthrax. Um, and through these illnesses, do, uh, in a sense, a war game, a pandemic planning exercise to plan for something. And then if they plan for a, a pandemic, they can plan for vaccination or therapies and have them concurrently developed. But it takes a lot of resources to do this because the illnesses don't exist as a worldwide problem at the time. And one has to work in labs to do this. And so for that reason, uh, the National Institutes of Health has a division, a, a division that is dedicated to, uh, in a sense, combating threats that could affect us as Americans. And that division is called BARDA, and it stands for the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority. Uh, this is very uh, important. And uh, BARDA has uh, an Office of Preparedness uh, and Response. And it states right on their website that it provides an integrated systematic approach to the development of necessary vaccines, drugs, and therapies, and diagnostic tools for public health emergencies, such as chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear accidents, incidents, attacks, pandemic influenza, and emerging infectious diseases. Together with its industry partners, BARDA promotes the advanced development of medical countermeasures to protect Americans and response to the 21st century health security threats. So BARDA has portfolios of uh, activity and program areas and uh, is a very extensive organization. They uh, claim to have been involved in 62 FDA approvals, licensure, and clearances, 101 biomedical products supported for COVID-19 response, 101 products, uh, 136 BARDA-supported COVID-19 partnerships. The money has been flowing to BARDA in, in a sense, BARDA has been draining the treasury of the United States, uh, and, and there's no uh, doubt about it that uh, uh, this is occurring. Um, another um, area of uh, government agency work, when I said government operation uh, to John Fredericks, I meant these uh, entities Another one is uh, along the lines of our defense, and it's called DARPA, D-A-R-P-A, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. And on their website, it's creating breakthrough technologies and capabilities for national securities. And so they have a whole variety of communities, DARPA universities, industries, small business, government, public, and media. Uh, they have a whole series of exciting uh, development uh, uh, seminars called Forward, uh, Advancing Horizons for National Security. Uh, and, and again, the agency 
incredibly well-funded through uh, the U.S. Uh, government. It's been around for 60 years, um, and uh, uh, it reaches for transformational change of incremental uh, advancements, capitalizing on strategic uh, activities, has 220 government employees, six technical officers, um, and uh, they look like they're absolutely ready to rock and roll in terms of executing uh, a plan. Uh, in this case, it could be a countermeasure plan against COVID-19. All I can tell you is that from the start of the pandemic, about 10% of the U.S. Uh, domestic uh, gross product GDP has been injected, uh, been printed and injected in a sense into the economy. And it didn't go everywhere. I mean, there were things that trickled down to businesses and individuals, but a lot of it went into these agencies, BARDA and DARPA. Uh, they had the resources to pre-purchase vaccines from manufacturers. Note so far, I haven't mentioned Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, uh, AstraZeneca, Novavax, Corbavax, Sinopharm. I haven't mentioned the vaccine manufacturers. The vaccine manufacturers, in a sense, are government contractors. But it's the money and decisions that are made in these government agencies. You know, these are not subject to congressional uh, oversight or, or approval. Uh, we don't see votes on whether or not we should buy more vaccines or not. We don't see votes or even due process on whether or not the emergencies should be extended. Things are just happening right now, and we just you know, have it reported to us in the news. Oh, we're going to extend the emergency. Oh, there's now a purchase of uh, 130 million uh, COVID vaccines for the fall. Oh, there's just been a purchase for uh, monkeypox vaccines and another purchase. Uh, oh, there's just been FDA approval of intravenous tegapox for monkeypox. These things are just happening to us. And it's in the setting of a medical emergency or a medical development. So there's something about a health crisis or a medical crisis that's been able to uh, circumvent or avoid due process. We no longer actually have due process to carefully vet and decide an understanding on a major investment. And let me tell you, 10% of our gross domestic product is a massive investment that none of us had any say in. Uh, none of us even saw any due process. And this is just the United States. This happened worldwide. So I want to make the point, I want to tie together the themes of destabilization, in a sense, getting us destabilized and willing to accept some new direction that's taking place. It's clearly taking place. Uh, I'll continue like you to report the news. Many of you can tell I'm struggling with the upper respiratory tract infection that I can't seem to shake. So um, I did not have or invite on an interviewer, whether I did it in person or over the phone or the computer this week. I've actually been making up for time I took away from the hospital. So I've had clinical duties all this week in the hospital on top of having a roughened voice. Uh, but I wanted to get this type of extended monologue into the McCullough Report this week. And I wanted to catch up on music. And so we've had some music suggestions that have come in after a few weeks of, uh, of, uh, of quiet from our uh, fans out there. 
And so I wanted to play a few clips from music that was sent in from you, the listeners of the McCullough Report. And this suggestion came in from Kathy Sackoth of Canada. Kathy, thank you so much for sending this in. And it's from an artist that I've had on the McCullough Report in the past, uh, RC rapper, a young, uh, talented uh, rapper. Uh, but he's teamed up with Haley Lewis, who's got a great voice and a lot of spirit. And this is about the uh, Canadian uh, convoy and the spirit in Canada of uh, pushing for personal autonomy and freedom of mandates. And I'm going to play the whole piece here. It's really worth it. This is called Indestructible by R.C. Rapper and Haley Lewis. Here it is. Judges, all they did was make us wise. There's nothing they can do to 
to stop these changes that are coming. The angel choirs are singing and our ancestors are drumming. Child, smile and do not fear for the devil cannot play a hand that isn't drawn from his creation and all the part of our father's plan. Wow, that was absolutely fantastic. And uh, I think everybody should check out the video on YouTube. You're going to really like this. Uh, RC Rapper, remember I had him on when he had uh, his first breakout tune he did with uh, Chris Rock, and it was uh, Just Say No. Now he's teamed up with Haley Lewis, and you know she's tiny and cute and determined and uh, got a great voice. And there's some wonderful scenes of the Canadian uh, convoy. And one of the themes of that piece is that when people have determination and they have a true belief in what's right and what's wrong, and when they are struck down by individuals in positions of power and authority, those individuals struck down come back even stronger. What the authoritarian uh, regimes don't understand is that when they beat people down who understand what's right and wrong, those people always come back stronger. And I know that's, I'm speaking to a lot of you who listen to the McCullough Report. You know what I'm talking about. It's just like that scene in Star Wars where um, Darth Vader has Obi-Wan Kenobi and he's got the lightsaber over his head. And Obi-Wan says, uh, Vader, if you strike me down, I'll come back far more powerful than you can ever imagine. And it's the same story again. You can see it right now. Those individuals who are taking this authoritarian stance, and right now it happens to be about the vaccine, uh, but we're, we're, we have spiraling out of control inflation fuel costs, concerns regarding supply chain and food shortages. It may quickly change from COVID-19 and vaccines onto something else. Uh, we have increasing cases of monkeypox, now word of monkeypox vaccination. We may just shift from one disease to another, but it must be a destabilizing event and it must be something external that we can't control. And it must be something that only those in positions of power can use over us in order to exert some type of behavioral change or compliance that's in the best interest of those who are seeking power and control. And what John Fredericks asked me is, you know, what do they want? What are they accomplishing? And I tell you, I can't figure it out. Who is developing joy or who's developing happiness from the series of events that's been beset on the world. It's certainly not me. It's not you. Uh, it's not any one of us that's lost uh, something in this. Many of us have lost loved ones. Uh, we've uh, seen injury. We've seen disability. Uh, we've seen illness. Uh, it, it can't be any one of us. We don't have a stake 
in coming out of this uh, better off. The thing that puzzles me is that those uh, that seem to be in this syndicate, and I've mentioned them, World Economic Forum, for example, Gates Foundation, Welcome Trust, Rockefeller Foundation, these are some of the wealthiest groups and wealthiest individuals in the world. So those who seem to be wielding power or wielding direction or control already are on top. How much wealthier can someone be? How much more enjoyment can wealth really provide? Or is it beyond wealth? It's, if it's, is it really about power or what one's view of themselves in the world? Many people of extraordinary wealth actually have a desire to change the history of the world. Uh, and a good term fits for that, and that's megalomania. That is having such an extreme view that one believes that they are larger than themselves. They have a mania over becoming larger and larger and larger. And in this case, it appears to be in the context of a pandemic and the context of mass vaccination. Some of the biggest advancements with the biggest treatment effects in the highest quality trials get absolutely no press coverage at all. None. And it's really shocking to me. This one published in the New England Journal of Medicine, July 6, 2022. I bet none of you have heard about it. The first author is K. Gary Barnett. And the title of the paper is Oral Sebizabulin for High-Risk Hospitalized Adults with COVID-19 in Interim Analysis. Uh, this is for the Phase 3 COVID-19 investigators. This product, Sebizabulin, is a, a product similar to colchicine. It interferes with uh, microtubule assembly of white blood cells, so it's clearly an anti-inflammatory. makes a lot of sense to use this in patients who uh, you know, are in the hospital, they're past that viral phase of uh, the illness. And um, uh, we have had many, many trials, for instance, of remdesivir, which shows no benefit, in fact, harm of remdesivir, very equivocal trials of barcetinamib, as well as with, um, with uh, tozolizumab, but listen to this trial, a randomized multi-center placebo-controlled phase three trial, patients with severe COVID-19 at high risk to going on to respiratory failure. They were randomized in a two-to-one fashion, nine milligrams of oral sabizabulin, which is great. This oral means it can be used as an outpatient too. And it was continued up to 21 days. That's the right thing. This is a long illness, much better than trying to give a three or five day course and this is a lot of the failed trials, I think intentionally designed to fail if oral drugs have used um, a short course. The primary endpoint was all-cause mortality. Yes, that's what it should be. Key secondary endpoints were days in the ICU, mechanical ventilation in the hospital. Total of 204 patients were randomized, 134 to sabizabulin and 70 to placebo. The baseline characteristics were similar, and uh, sabizabulin uh, on a planned uh, superiority analysis at 150 patients resulted in a 24.9% absolute reduction, absolute, and a 55.2% relative reduction in death 
compared to placebo. This is extraordinary. The p-value was 0.004. The mortality rate for sabizabulin was 20%. That is very high versus 45% for placebo. I can tell you this is the most positive randomized trial done in a high-quality fashion for sick inpatients where a drug is given for a prolonged time and a mortality endpoint as the primary endpoint is declared at 60 days. This is it. This is the best trial of all time for sick inpatients. It's of interest, by the way. One of the best outpatient trials was the cold corona trial done with colchicine from the Montreal Heart Institute. Much larger trial because it is outpatient, about over 4,000 patients. But again, a similar drug, not an antiviral, not an anticoagulant, but actually an anti-inflammatory, uh, made uh, a big impact. Yet cold corona never made the media or news, uh, has never been... Um, widely promoted by public health agencies. And here we have another winner come in, oral sabizabulin, something we could use as an outpatient, but clearly can use in high-risk inpatients. And there's no word, there was no mention of this on the major media. It hasn't come out anywhere. We haven't seen it on any of the news releases. And I can tell you, I am stunned at the complete oblivion there is to treating SARS-CoV-2. Look at these mortality rates. These patients were sick in the hospital, and these were staggering mortality rates, and this oral drug in a high-quality, valid, randomized trial markedly reduced mortality, and there's no mention of it. I can tell you this is evidence that the medical community, the bioscientific community, is in some type of trance or spell. They are in some form of of an oblivion to anything that could help patients with COVID-19 while they have a complete fervor and a relentless interest in mass vaccination. So the oblivion to treatment and the promotion of mass vaccination, again, inextricably linked. I wanted to bring that segment to you on oral sabizable and uh, you know, review it with your friends, those of you who are doctors. Let's bring this in Journal Club and try to shine a light on it. I still use colchicine a lot in my clinical practice based on uh, the Greco-19 trial and the cold corona trial, but this uh, drug uh, may be even better than colchicine. Looks absolutely terrific in this format. Couldn't wait to use it if it got emergency use authorization. So that's it for uh, this week's show. Uh, let's um, uh, let's stay together on this and continue to follow the developments as they unfold right before us. There's no shortage of news, no shortage of public health interest, and certainly no shortage of new developments that are influencing our lives every day. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report.